me. Um, Samuel and Zarini are, are um, dear to us, not just because we support them, but they're actually members of our church. That's not true of all the missionaries we support. Um, but Samuel and Zarini, they, they were here, I can't from, remember for how long, about a year and a half maybe, um, and just became part of us. And um, So they're special to us. We're excited to be able to see them and meet, meet their son. Uh, I, there was a professor from Reformed Theological Seminary that I think yesterday uh, directed my attention to a quote from Wendell Berry. Um, it's from a poem that he wrote. It's, which is good. You should read the whole thing. I, uh, I forget what it's called. I have it pulled up, but I forgot. But uh, he, he was saying, um, practice the millennium, the reign of Christ on the earth. Plant sequoias. Plant crops that you won't harvest for yourself. Um, because he's saying the trust that you have, that the Lord will reign on the earth. And that's the kind of work that Samuel and Zerini are, are doing there, helping to, to redeem the earth in anticipation of its final Redemption. So it's it's a really cool work that they've done. It's taken years to make very small steps, and, and finally starting to see some of that happen. It's it's wonderful. Um, if you could open your Bibles to Proverbs three. It's August fifth. Uh, we're three weeks away, or less than three weeks away from the start of school for. Uh, no, three weeks uh, until Buncombe County Schools start. Less than that for, for Montreat. Uh, so seasonally, summer still has some time, but practically summer is ending in a lot of ways. And as we move into the fall, I wanted to just spend a few weeks in the book of Proverbs uh, trying to sort of reframe our vision a little bit and get ready for, for what many of us consider uh, real life. Summer is fake and, and the school year is real life. And uh, Proverbs, in a lot of ways, is meant for just that, to help you deal with life. And we're starting here in the third chapter of the book of Proverbs. Uh, some chunks of this are, are pretty famous, perhaps the most famous sections of the book. So I'm going to start it at verse 1, and I'll read uh, through verse 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, my son do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us, your people. God, we thank you for this instruction handed down to us. 
We pray, God, that our hearts would be soft, that our ears would be open. Father, instruct us in your ways. Help us to delight in your ways, to give ourselves over to the way of life that you have prescribed for your people. We need you, God, to do this in us by the power of your Holy Spirit, to the glory of your Son. Amen. Uh, The book of Proverbs is in a collection of literature within the Bible that's called wisdom literature. Uh, This uh, would include the book of Ecclesiastes and would include the book of Job. These are books that are oriented around helping you understand the nature of life and to live it, to know what the right thing is to do and to do it at the right time. That's the essence of biblical wisdom. Um, the book of Proverbs itself is, can be pretty interesting uh, to, to untangle. There's a combination of things going on. It's, it's not all the same from start to finish. There are chunks that flow together, uh, and there are, at times, uh, chunks of wisdom that are couplets that are organized by theme, and sometimes you get to parts of the book and they're just random. It's a grab bag of random sayings. Uh, Then there's other parts where you'll be notified that these are the sayings of a different uh, person. Uh, So in other words, a lot of times if you think of the book of Proverbs, you think this is Solomon. Solomon did come up with a lot of these, but it's not all Solomon. Uh, So the book of Proverbs has a lot of poetic uh, elements to it and has a lot of stuff going on. So at times it can be challenging to read, but in a lot of ways it's the most practical thing to read in the Bible. It's, It's dealing with a lot of things that you deal with in your everyday life. So for a lot of people, part of their regular spiritual practice is to read Proverbs every day. I can remember my dad doing that for for quite some time. It's really handy. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. A lot of months have 31 days, uh, so you can read a chapter a day. Uh, Personally, I struggle with the book of Proverbs because of these things, there's this mixed bag, and, and frankly, everyday life bores me. I don't want to read about everyday life because I live everyday life I would like to think about other kinds of things. So Proverbs can be something to struggle through because it is, in some sense, very mundane. But when you get right down to it, the things that we believe or say we believe in love should be grounded in the reality, the practicality, the simple of our everyday lives. So whether you struggle with the book of Proverbs like me or you love it, Proverbs is good medicine. It is good for you, and it is a good discipline to come up against it again and again. Now, we're going to see something about Proverbs in this passage, and we'll see it in a lot, lots more of other parts of Proverbs. You have to understand that Proverbs is describing to you the, the way that the world ideally works. When things are working well and working right, this is how it goes. So, for example, this father is speaking to his son in, in the chapter 3, and he's telling them, honor the Lord with all your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. 
So when you're reading the book of Proverbs, it sounds like you're being given a guarantee. If you honor the Lord, your barns will be filled. And you can, maybe you don't have a barn, so maybe you think of your savings account, uh, which is fair enough. But many, many people read the book of Proverbs, do what it says, and brother, those barns are not full, if you know what I'm saying. There is very little wine in those vats. The temptation is to say, well, Proverbs says that if I do this, then this will be the result. I don't have this result, therefore I have failed to honor the Lord. Other people flip it on its head and say it this way, you who honor the Lord are guaranteed full barns, full vats of wine. You are guaranteed riches and wealth. It says it right here. And this is a misunderstanding of what Proverbs is trying to do. It is not giving you a guarantee about the way that this will work itself out in your life at all times. It only takes five minutes of flipping through the Bible to see that. Because many, many, most, if not all, of the people who honor the Lord in Scripture end up poor or dead or beaten. Well, they all end up dead because it was a long time ago. Um, poor or, or killed prematurely. Proverbs is describing to you the way the world should work. It's not concerned so much with the questions of the way the world is corrupted and not working as it should be. There's other wisdom books for that, and we'll get into that at some other point. Proverbs 3 here presents a father speaking to a son about that the way the son should approach this right way of living. And he says to him, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. A repeated theme in the book of Proverbs, and this is where our graphic here is helpful, is that there is an, a way to live life that is yours, and there is a way to live life that is God's. There are two options, two paths through life. One way is the way that seems natural to you and is determined by your own making, and another that is the way of God. And here, the father is speaking to his son in this situation and saying, do not forget my commandments. Do not forget what I am telling you. Now, to an Israelite who's hearing these Proverbs, this is very much in keeping with what they have heard their whole life. The story of Israel is defined by this command to remember. The entire book of Deuteronomy is rich with this command, remember and do not forget. Remember the law, remember the story of Israel, do whatever you can to not forget these commandments. And Deuteronomy 6 is, is the most famous instruction along these lines. And I'll just read it for you. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land that you are going over to possess 
that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and your days may be long. You hear the similar promises that go with obedience. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your table, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. Notice how similar that sounds to Proverbs 3, 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. The heart of being an Israelite in practice is this act of remembering. Israel is defined by its remembrance. Its calendar is organized around remembrance. Their dress, their worship, is entirely oriented around perpetually remembering the nature of God, how He's shown Himself to Israel, and what He has told them to do with their lives. So what this father is saying to his son is don't stop doing what you have been commanded to do as an Israelite. Remember, remember, remember. But see, forgetfulness is the orientation, the disposition, the habit of the soul by nature. You and I are inclined to forgetfulness. If nothing else, when you read the Old Testament, when you read the story of Israel, you will see that message conveyed again and again. You and I are inclined to forget the nature of God. We are inclined to forget what He does for His people. This is the thing, the diagnosis that the Old Testament will present for Israel again and again. Israel forgot what God had done for them. Israel had forgotten the God of their fathers. So the father here is very much aware of the pressing and presenting problem of humanity, and he's telling his son, do whatever you have to do. Write it down. Put it all around you so that you do not forget. Because this is the heart of biblical wisdom. You and I are really bad at being wise. We live in a world that tells us, trust yourself. Just trust yourself. Do what your gut tells you. Whatever you feel is right, whatever you determine to be the right way, trust yourself. But Scripture will again and again tell you, actually, that's the opposite of a good idea. You should distrust yourself. You are not trustworthy. The son hears the instruction from his father, this most famous portion. Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
and do not lean on your own understanding. In the Hebrew here, there's, there's a repeated theme that we don't quite hear in the English. The word for trust in Hebrew uh, has this connotation of leaning. To communicate the principle of trust, it's calling to mind for the reader, leaning. That you can lean on something and trust that it will hold you up. So it's, it's competing leanings that it's being held up before you. You can either lean on God or you can lean on yourself. And your instinct is to fall one way or the other. And what Proverbs will say in this passage and in many other passages again and again is that you are a faulty uh, doorpost, as it were. You are not a stable and secure item to lean on. If you lean on yourself, you are liable to fall. You will fall. But if you lean on God you will find there an anchor and a security, a stability that will not fail you. Lean then on God. There there is a, a gravity to our actions. There is a default disposition to our hearts. And we are meant to work to push our default gravity towards God. Now, the writers of the, the New Testament will deal with this, this work. Paul will say in Romans 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed. Paul's command tells us that the natural state of your heart is in need of renovation and change. And Paul's word in English sounds to us like an immediate, well, just be transformed. Poof, you're transformed like magic. But of course, we know that the process of transformation is often long and arduous and takes careful attention. It it holds more closely to the description that we read in Proverbs that you must constantly remind yourself. The dispositions of your heart, of my heart, are not changed and shifted overnight, but require the constant attention and care of a lifetime. Often, the the way that our heart leans is not revealed in the things that we can put on a piece of paper that we believe, but is revealed in the, the moments, the instants where we give no thought and we just react. My inclination, I want to confess that Jesus is my king, that he is in charge of me, But if you look at my unbidden, my seemingly uncontrolled reactions to the world, there's still a very big part of my heart that believes I am the king. And those things come in duress, those revelations come in duress or stress, or the stupid stresses of everyday life, where I am unveiled, believing and yet not believing. Your inclination is to forget and to lean on yourself. And this cannot be corrected with mere accrual of knowledge. 
See, this is, this is the tricky thing about wisdom. Biblical wisdom, people often just assume, that means you memorize all the things in the Bible. You believe all the, the right things. But actually, that's just knowing a lot of stuff. That's not the same thing as wisdom. And we'll see that as we spend more time with Proverbs. Wisdom is not about your brain, but it is about your heart. Um, most people know that my, my family has been gone uh, for three, over three weeks now. Um, they'll, get, they'll get home next weekend. And that means I, I can do whatever I want. Um, and a lot of what I want to do in my free time, I'm not, I'm not working. I love to go see movies. Um, I don't get to do it as nearly as much as I would like, but uh, I have movie pass now. Everybody know what movie pass is? You pay a fee and then you can go to movies as much as you want. I use the heck out of that thing when my family is not around, um, and I get to go sit in a movie theater by myself and watch movies just like I want. Um, and I don't need to defend myself on that. If you go watch movies with people, that's your terrible decision, and we can talk about that some other time. Yesterday, uh, I went to, to go see the movie Christopher Robin. Is everybody aware of this movie that's just come out? Yeah. Uh, as you might be able to guess from the title, it has to do with Christopher Robin from Winnie the Pooh. Um, and Winnie the Pooh is, is in it. It's, a, it's a, not an animated movie. It's a live-action movie. And I would just say, if you have little kids, probably not for them. Um, it's not bad. It's just pretty boring if you're a little kid. Um, I was shocked to see so many kids in there. I don't know why I was shocked, but anyway, that's a different story. The story, the premise of the story is that Christopher Robin has grown up. He doesn't, he doesn't live in or come to play in the Hundred Acre Wood anymore. He's gotten swept away by the tides of adulthood. He has a family, and he has a job, and he has people who count on him at his job, and he has to work really hard to do what he's supposed to do. And of course, as you might expect, he neglects his family, he neglects his daughter, and he's thoroughly left behind uh, the world that he knew as a child. And somehow, miraculously, uh, Winnie the Pooh comes to find him. Um, and there's this conversation with this grown adult, Christopher Robin, um, Ewan McGregor, is sitting on a, a, a branch talking with Winnie the Pooh. And it's very clear, if you don't remember, that Winnie the Pooh, he's dumb, right? Everybody knows this. Kids, adults, everybody knows Winnie the Pooh is dumb. He's not smart. He says dumb things all the time. He does really silly things all the time because he's not smart. But Winnie the Pooh also has this ability to speak to Christopher Robin and completely unveil him as a father who has failed his wife and his daughter. Why? Winnie the Pooh says that he is a bear of very little brains. And he is. And yet somehow, Pooh is possessed of a wisdom that this adult, smart, proficient Christopher Robin does not have. Wisdom is not about what is in your brain as much as it is about what is in your heart. So if you're an adult that's not at all unlikely 
that your child who knows far less than you will at various points become your instructor and correct you. It's not at all uncommon that the people who cannot pass the the Bible trivia tests might very well be closer to wisdom than you are. It is, in fact, what we are told later in the New Testament, that God actually loves to use what is simple and foolish to confound those who are supposedly wise. Wisdom is, begins from the heart. And the heart is where we have our deepest problem. Wisdom is going to tell you that you cannot rely upon yourself because twisted into your heart is the seeds of foolishness that you cannot help but give yourself over to. So what then do we do? You know, some, some people's answer is, is to work really hard on these instructions, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, memorize and memorize and memorize and work really hard to know all the things. To work hard at the work of transformation. And don't get me wrong, that is a crucial and vital part of spiritual formation. Is to work really hard to not forget as, as is the inclination of your soul. But that is not step one. The beginnings of biblical wisdom is not the work that you apply yourself to. It is the work done on your behalf. Jesus here is the wise son that listens to and obeys his father. You and I read Proverbs 3 and we read verses 1 through 11 and you should see this measuring stick raised up for you that you fall short of. But the words of the father imploring his son to listen are actually fulfilled and obeyed by Jesus, the right and true son. Jesus is the one who wins his way through the world with his ear inclined to the Father. That is why when Jesus teaches us to pray, what is the thing that he teaches us to pray? He teaches us to pray again and again that the will of God would be done and not our own. The plea is that the will of the Father would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus' teaching about the will of the Father is not some theoretical bank of knowledge that he has, but we see that it is the prayer that erupts out of him in the moment where he should be unveiled. In the moment of stress, the moment where the test is pressing in upon him in the Garden of Gethsemane, the moment where you and I, every day of our lives, fall short and plead that our will will be done is the the moment where the Son, this Son, the rightful Son, prays himself, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is the one who is the most wise one. 
He is the one who gives the smartest, wisest set of moral philosophy that the world has ever seen in the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere. But it is not just his ability to communicate information, but it is in fact that he embodies a wise heart by sticking faithfully to the will of the Father. Jesus then pulls upon himself all the results of folly that the book of Proverbs will say awaits us. At the end of this passage in chapter 3, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father of the son in whom he delights. Jesus accepts upon himself the disastrous consequences of our own foolishness so that we might instead be embraced as a beloved son or daughter. He brings upon his own back the discipline that would break ours. Wisdom begins in the middle of your being and it begins at the place where Jesus comes to rescue you. I cannot give for you the roadmap to unattainable, unimaginable and unattainable wealth and riches. But I can tell you that the, the riches of God's mercy and love for you is that of an overflowing barn and an overflowing wine vat. The wealth and riches of the wisdom of God that are extended to you in Christ Jesus are secured for you permanently and forever when you place your trust in Jesus, the rightful, wise Son. The wisdom of God is on hand in Jesus. And this morning, if you know that your life has veered between two routes, that you know that you have kept some feet on on God's path and you've kept lots of other feet on on your path, the invitation this morning is, is to repent to turn away from doing your own thing, turn away from your way of life, and instead turn to the one who has been faithful and true, both to the Father and to you. And and that can mean you're on very wide ends of the spectrum. You could be here as a Christian, and you are in need of repentance because your heart is still unsteady you still swerve from point to point on the compass. And the the way of wisdom still starts at the heart. Repent and come home. You you could be here and be not a Christian. You could say, I've never been on the way of God. I've tried to be smart. I've tried to live my life morally and rightly. But I'm not taking the way of Jesus. And the diagnosis, the prescription is still the same. Repent. Turn away from your own way of folly and foolishness. And let the wise son transform and renew your heart now and forever. God loves his people. He wants for you to live a life full of life and riches in him. And in Christ Jesus, he has done all that is necessary to secure that and to secure you forever. Would you pray with me?
Lord Jesus, we are a forgetful people by nature and by choice. God, I pray this morning that you will help us all to be honest about the state of our souls. That we have primarily been concerned with living life the way that we want to live it. Even those of us who claim your name still naturally by inclination still fall into the habit of doing what we want and justifying it in the face of all evidence that we are giving ourselves over to folly. Father, I pray that you would give us a spirit of repentance. That we would move into this school year, this next phase of real life, and we would begin with a commitment to say our, our fall, our gravity has to go the way of God, and by His Spirit, we must lean on Him and not on ourselves. We are thankful that Your faithfulness far outshines our own. I pray, God, that You will help us to lean into Your faithfulness, to lean into the way of God in the world. Father, would you please continue to renew and renovate our hearts. And Father, for those of us who are here and do not know you, I pray, God, that you will will help them to see the folly of living their own way and that you would bring them home. Pray that they would see you as a loving Father who wants to fix your love on them. Help them to turn aside. Rescue them from their own way. We thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. Faithfulness that stood in the stead of our faithlessness. And the faithfulness that continues to be fixed on us. To continue to pursue us. In ways that we could not begin to imagine. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.